All right, cool. Hello. Good morning and welcome everybody. And I need to get my order of songs because otherwise I'm not going to do anything. All right, here we go. Uh, so we are yet again covering for Steve while he's gone. It feels a little bit like when you're taking care of the kids when the wife is gone and just things are absolutely crazy and uh, and here we are. So. <laughs> just, just things like yeah, yeah, yeah. Things just feel a little, you know, more crazy. So. Um, all right, so uh, let's uh, let's open up in a word of prayer, uh, and we can pray for Steve's family, um, Steve and his family. Uh, of course, the war in Ukraine. Um, anything else? Anything else? We prayer for. Okay. I know uh, I'm late because I was stopping at Dunkin' Donuts and there were there were two people working there and lots of other very angry people who weren't working there uh, who were, were angry because there are only two. So perhaps we should keep the, uh, the the people working in jobs where you get yelled at in our prayers as well uh, for God's grace to them and uh, <laughs> grace to the people there. Uh, or trying to get food there and all that. So, all right, let's uh, let's go to God in prayer. Dear Lord, uh, thank you uh, for blessing us with beautiful spring days where it's sunny and it's uh, the cold is uh, slowly but surely leaving. Um, thank you uh, for this beautiful weather and longer days and all these blessings that you remind us that. Um, uh, just in the way that you've written creation, that uh, after um, that things might look bad, that death might come, but uh, but life uh, wins out and, and wins out specifically because of your son who died and rose again for our sins. Uh, Lord, I ask that you would be with uh, everybody uh, in the area in McDowell County and, and all around us uh, who are having to deal with um, all sorts of uh, things related to jobs that uh, they, they didn't perhaps sign up for um, and uh, with everything that has gone on with uh, a um, global pandemic and then uh, uh, supply shortages and all that, uh, Lord, uh, please give us uh, grace and, um, and peace when interacting with one another uh, to show that your love and to um, and to embody uh, uh, what uh, what you would have us do to do the good deeds that you would have us do, Lord. Uh, we pray the same for uh, the situation in Ukraine. Um, so uh, please be uh, with the people of Ukraine. Please be with the people of Russia as well, Lord. You tell us to, um, uh, that we should. Um, that we should love everybody, Lord. So um, we ask that you would bring peace there and reconciliation um, as well. And we also pray for Steve and his family that you would bring them your comfort um, and uh, and 
whatever else it is they need in this time, God, because sometimes um, I might not know, and, and you know, sometimes when you're mourning, uh, when I'm mourning, I myself don't necessarily know what it is that I need, God. So uh, <clears throat> be with them, um, uh, shelter them under your wings, um, under your wings, and uh, we ask that you would be with all of us today as we seek to learn from your word from Leviticus and um, as we seek to praise you. We ask all this in Jesus' most holy name. Amen. All right. Uh, start with number six. Sorry, number five. They're both pretty great, but uh, I was thinking five and I wrote down six. <laughs> Now let's see how 
above all names. Name above all names. Worthy of all names. My heart will sing how great is our God. Name above all names. Name above I didn't think I would sing uh, How Great Thou Art. Uh, of course. Then sings my soul, my Savior God to me. How great Thou art. How great Thou art. Then sings my Thou with me, Lord, thou my 
Leviticus 10, Ian will be bringing us that. Um, Leviticus 11, Russell will be talking about a little bit. And then I'll be talking about the proper amount of time to quarantine post-childbirth uh, for Leviticus chapter 12. Now Nadab and Abihu, the sons of Aaron, each took his censer and put fire in it and laid incense on it and offered unauthorized fire before the Lord, which he had not commanded them. And fire came out from before the Lord and consumed them, and they died before the Lord. Then Moses said to Aaron, This is what the Lord has said. Among those who are near me, I will be sanctified, and before all the people I will be glorified. And Aaron held his peace. And Moses called Mishael and Elzaphan, the sons of Uziel, the uncle of Aaron, and said to them, Come near, carry your brothers away from the front of the sanctuary and out of the camp. 
So they came near and carried them and their coats out of the camp. As Moses had said, and Moses said to Aaron and to Eleazar and Ethamar his sons, Do not let the hair of your heads hang loose, and do not tear your clothes, lest you die. A wrath come upon all the congregation. But let your brothers, the whole house of Israel, bewail the burning that the Lord has kindled. And do not go outside the entrance of the tent of, the, of meeting, lest you die, for the anointing oil of the Lord is upon you. And they did according to the word of Moses. And the Lord spoke to Aaron, saying, Drink no wine or strong drink, you or your sons with you, when you go into the tent of meeting, lest you die. It shall be a statute forever throughout your generations. You are to distinguish between the holy and the common, and between the unclean and the clean. And you are to teach the people of Israel all the statutes that the Lord has spoken to them by Moses. Moses spoke to Aaron and to Eleazar and Ithamar, his surviving sons. Take the grain offering that is left of the Lord's food offering and eat it unleavened beside the altar, for it is most holy. You shall eat it in a holy place because it is your due and your sons' due from the Lord's food offerings, for so I am commanded. But the breast that is waved and the thigh that is contributed, you shall eat in a clean place, you and your sons and your daughters with you. For they are given as your due and your sons do from the sacrifices of the peace offerings of the people of Israel. The thigh that is contributed and the breast that is waved, they shall bring with the food offering of the fat pieces to wave for a wave offering before the Lord, and it shall be yours and your sons with you, as a due forever, as the Lord has commanded. Now Moses diligently inquired about the goat of the sin offering, behold, it was burned up. And he was angry with Eleazar and Ethamar, the surviving sons of Aaron, saying, Why have you not eaten the sin offering in the place of the sanctuary, since it is a thing most holy, and has been given to you, that you may bear the iniquity of the congregation, to make atonement for them before the Lord? Behold, this blood was not brought into the inner part of the sanctuary. You certainly ought to have eaten it in the sanctuary, as I commanded. And Aaron said to Moses, Behold, today they have offered their sin offering and their burnt offering before the Lord, and yet such things as these have happened to me. If I had eaten the sin offering today, would the Lord have approved? When Moses heard that, he approved. So I've been to uh, two funerals this week. One was a prestige dad, one for the husband of a friend of mine. He was about my age, a little younger. And it's, this week has really had me thinking more than usual. I think a lot about death. I'm kind of a morbid sort of person, but uh, it's had me thinking about it more than usual in some ways that I haven't, that haven't, that I don't usually think about. I guess. So this chapter kind of came at an interesting time. First off, I don't know if anybody else kind of feels this way, I'll go ahead and say it out loud. Uh, first reading, it seemed a little, you know, maybe like the punishment didn't fit the crime. It seemed to be a little bit excessive. You're wondering, because what, what, what do they do wrong? Okay, so why did they die? Let's look into that a little bit more. Uh, even after that, they still have some questions, but if you go to Exodus 30, which is before this, this has... Uh, Guidelines regarding what what went wrong. Exodus 30 talks about the altar of incense. If you go down to uh, verse nine, you shall not burn 
You shall not offer unauthorized incense on it, or a burnt offering, or a grain offering, and you shall not pour a drink offering on it. Aaron shall make atonement on its horns once a year with the blood of the sin offering of atonement. He shall make atonement for it once a year throughout your generations. It is most holy to the Lord. So it's a the incense altar. I think even more than the animal sacrifice altar was more uh, was more holy. So the any mistakes made there would have been more serious. We go also to you had. Um, so the incense had a specific recipe. There's a specific incense you're supposed to supposed to offer. Uh, verse 34. The Lord said to Moses, "Take sweet spices, stacte, which I don't know what it is, omika, I don't know what that is, galbanum, sweet spices with pure frankincense. Of each there shall be an equal part, and make an incense blended as by the perfumer, seasoned with salt, pure and holy. You shall be some of it very small and put it and put part of it before the testimony." the tent of meeting where I shall meet with you. It shall be most holy for you. And the incense that you shall make according to its composition, you shall not make for yourselves. It shall be for you holy to the Lord. Whoever makes any like it to use as perfume shall be cut off from his people. So it looks like they offered incense that was not of the... Uh, was not the right recipe. This reminds me of another a little bit, not to be a spoiler, spoiler here, but later on in Leviticus, we're going to see a story of a rebellion, also involving incense, and people also died, burned by fire from God. So this is a, something that happened more than once. See, I'm going to read through the scriptures here, and then we'll talk about put, put summarize them all together. And then fell swoop. Okay, Leviticus. Let's see here. Actually, that was that was that would have been Leviticus 16. Numbers. I'm sorry. Number 16. That's way way ahead. Sorry. Number 16 was the rebellion. Leviticus 21 has rules about uh, priests and mourning. Because it seems kind of harsh, you know, not only did, did God kill two of Aaron's four sons, so half of his kids, half of his sons at least, he also told him, don't mourn. And why is that? So you go to Leviticus uh, 21. And the Lord said to Moses, speak to the priests, the sons of Aaron, and say to them, no one shall make himself unclean for the dead among his people, except for his closest relatives, his mother, his father, his son, his daughter, his brother, or his virgin sister. So those are the only ones he is uh, and then skipping down. However, there's an exception even to that. Uh, verse 10, the priest who is chief among his brothers on whom on whose head the anointing oil is poured and who has been consecrated to wear the garments shall not let the hair of his head hang loose nor tear his clothes. He shall not go into any dead bodies or make himself unclean even for his father or his mother. He shall not go out of the sanctuary, lest he profane the sanctuary of his God. The consecration of the anointing oil of his God is on him. I am the Lord. I get this kind of uh, image of concentric circles of uh, 
of holiness and expectation and separation and, and higher standards of, uh, of conduct and extra procedures and rules to follow. So if you had like a target, you know, so you get like this big circle would be Israel. Israel is actually already kind of a, a holy separation from uh, the rest of the nations. So they already have special rules and codes of conduct to follow. And inside of that, you get the Levites. And they had, uh, they were not allowed to do all the things that everybody else was allowed to do. For example, they couldn't own uh, large amounts of property. They were not allowed to have uh, a normal heritage uh, of land, large tracts of land, as the rest of the tribes were. They had only cities within the, they were scattered through all the tribes having cities, their own cities in the land around the cities. Uh, so that, that was a, that's a big, it may not seem like a big deal to us because we're very urbanized and, you know, a small yard is kind of a plus if you have to mow it with a push mower. But uh, for them, that was a big deal. So that means that they basically had to depend very, very heavily on the contributions of, uh, you know, to the, to the temple and the, and the tabernacle. They were very, very dependent on other people uh, because they didn't have enough land to, to support themselves probably. So then inside that you have the priests and the priests had even more, uh, they had more privileges as far as coming close to God. So this is also like, as you're coming closer to God toward the center of the circle, as I'm imagining it, you're also, you're, you have more restrictions, you have more uh, rules to follow, more, uh, more, more, more things to think about, but also you're getting closer. So the priests had other rules, and then you have among the priests you have the anointed priests, the high priests, those who are who are doing the the closest service to God in the most holy places. So they had the most rules to follow. So uh, that's what was going on with Aaron. He was doing one of the most sacred and holy things. He was in a, one of the most special states he could be in in his uh, in his job, and so he couldn't leave. He couldn't leave the temple. Well, he couldn't leave the, 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 the sanctuary, he couldn't uh, mourn as normal, so he couldn't, you know, lose the hair, put the ashes on his head, tear his clothes, he couldn't do any of that stuff. Interestingly, I'm not sure if this applies to uh, the high priest at Jesus' trial, Mark 14, it mentions that he uh, tore his clothes. I don't, I don't know if he was in that sort of special state or not, if that was... If that was okay or not, but that is something that was brought up to me before, and I, I wondered about it. Hebrews twelve twenty nine says that our God is a consuming fire, and uh, it says in Hebrews eight and nine, it talks about how the the tabernacle, the things on earth, were copies of things in heaven. So that they aren't, and, and the writer of Hebrews says that's why it was so important that they be made exactly the way, uh, exactly the way God said, because he's, he's, he's saying that they were actually copies of things that actually existed in the other dimension. So it, it wasn't just making something, you know, you kind of fight here, Cut a dimension short there, or add a little flourish there. The, the the reason it was so specific was that they were copies of something else uh, in in God's realm and heavenly realm. This also makes me think of uh, Ananias and Sapphira in Acts five. They 
were Christians, apparently, and they made a they made an error, an intentional error, but it was an error, and died as a result. So you see people close to God, they're, and it seems to us today kind of a small error. They just it would maybe the equivalent of lying in your income tax, or you know, they're basically lying, lying about their offering. Uh, giving the impression that they, that they were giving all that they made from the sale of some land when actually they were giving only part of it. And they died. This also reminds me of Ezekiel, in Ezekiel 24, that uh, as a sign, God takes Ezekiel's wife, she dies, and he is forbidden to mourn in a normal way. He, uh, it goes through a list of things you, that would normally have been done there to show mourning and he is forbidden to do those as a sign of what the people are going to have to go through when they are, uh, their city is overtaken, they're captured, and they will have to they will have to mourn in a similar way. Uh, there will be no time for the normal mourning. They'll just have to mourn as they're being marched off, kind of like I guess like the Cherokee Trail of Tears or something like that, where you, you can't really you don't have time to properly mourn the dying or the dead or the loss. The situation is so bad you're 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 en route. Also makes me think about First uh, Thessalonians four thirteen. Paul says, "No, I don't want you to grieve as those who have no hope." So, but Christians also have something of a, a special way to. Like a, a special standard, maybe, to uh, a calling to not grieve in a normal way. Some, some kind of parallel to me of the, how the priests were. But then on the other side, I also think about uh, Philippians 2. This one I need to read because it's the wording is, I think, it's important. Let me get that wrong. I thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier, and your messenger and minister to my need, for he has been longing for you all and has been distressed because you heard that he was ill. Indeed, he was ill near to death, but God had mercy on him, and not only on him, but, all, but on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. So Paul, the same person, says, don't grieve like other people grieve, or like the, the outsiders, the unbelievers grieve, uh, is also admitting to you know, if he had lost this friend, this co-worker, this fellow Christian, he would have had sorrow upon sorrow. All right, so, conclusion. So, uh, I think we kind of get, in a time like this, in a place like this in America, everything, we have so much peace going on, so much freedom. It's easier to think of God as kind of, you know, a great accountant in the sky or something. Maybe like an ocean inspector, it's just really, really picky about lots of little things. And you're kind of like, well, I'm just let up. It's not that, you know, there's peace and safety and security everywhere around. Why is this such a big deal? So maybe he is, uh, I think maybe he's less like the ocean inspector or nuclear power plant and more like the nuclear reaction going on inside that power plant. Uh, potential imminent catastrophic danger is 
is, is really one of the most significant realities of any man's relationship with God. Salvation is more than, we used to tell the story a lot of, you know, a, a judge and there's a convict and the, and the judge forgives the convict and, and adopts him or whatever. So this is, salvation is it's a great analogy, but it's more than that. It's more than just a, a judge inviting a convict to dinner. It's a supernova who wants to give a piece of tissue paper a hug. It takes a miracle to make that work. It would not. It actually would not work. They're completely in, incompatible. He, uh, human sinfulness and uh, God's holiness are completely in, incompatible. He would have to be either protecting us or constantly uh, healing us throughout that process because it, it just it would not be possible otherwise. So maybe in a sense I would say, why did he? Maybe the question is more, you know, why did he uh, not? Not why did he kill Nadab and Abihu, but why doesn't he? Why doesn't he have blown the whole thing up a long, long time ago? So it's, he is uh, he is a, he's a jealous God. He's a consuming fire. So my my title, which I should have given at the beginning, is it's okay to be sad, but not too much. And here is. Here's hopefully something hopeful at the end of this for you from Hebrews 12. For you have not come to what may be touched, a blazing fire and darkness and gloom and a tempest and the sound of a trumpet and a voice whose words made the hearers beg that no further messages be spoken to them. For they could not endure the order that was given. If even a beast touches the mountain, it shall be stoned. Indeed, so terrifying was the sight that Moses said, I tremble with fear. But you have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to innumerable angels in festal gatherings, and to the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven, and to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. To that you do not refuse him who is speaking. For if they did not escape when they refused him who warned him on earth, much less will we escape if we reject him who warns from heaven. At that time his voice shook the earth, but now he has promised, yet once more I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. This phrase yet once more indicates the removal of things that are shaken, that is, things that have been made, in order that the things that cannot be shaken may remain. Therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, and let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. And so we turn now, then in chapter 11, to uh, <clears throat> food requirements for the Israelites. Okay, We've been talking the priests, well, the priestly duties, uh, of course, when the Nadab and Abihu got the wrong, uh, the 
they're uh, on fire and God destroyed them and everything. But now we turn to, in chapter 11, uh, the food requirements for the Israelis, uh, the Israelites, and why um, they have to obey God's command on what they need to eat. And so we start in chapter 11, and the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron, saying to them, speak to the people of Israel, saying, these are the living things that you may eat among the animals that are on the earth. Whatever parts of the hoof and is cloven-footed and chews the cud among the animals you may eat. Nevertheless, among these that chew the cud are part the hoof, you shall not eat those, uh, not eat these. The camel, because it chews the cud but does not part the hoof, is unclean to you. And the rock badger, because it chews the cud but does not part the hoof, is unclean to you. And the hare, because it chews the cud but does not part the hoof, is unclean to you. And the pig, because it parts the hoof and is cloven-footed but does not chew the cud, is unclean to you. You shall not eat of any of these flesh, and you shall not touch their carcasses. They are unclean to you. Um, okay, well, right off the bat, at least to most of us, there goes the bacon. Um, uh, but, uh, you know, of course, part of this um, is, you know, God is trying to keep his people, you know, safe from... Um, Parasites and other things, other uh, the unclean animals. At least most of what I was reading as I was thinking about, you know, studying this particular passage is like God seems to be trying to protect the Israelites from the animals that are unclean. That have, you know, like pigs, you know, have parasites. Um, we, of course, in our modern age, thank goodness, uh, have you know uh, high sanitation standards and high cooking standards and so forth, and can you know enjoy bacon and pork chops and those things, but. In these days, God felt it probably was much, much better that the, the Israelites just avoid foods, you know, such as the pig. Of course, you know, the ones that he did allow, he did permit the cloven, the cloven hooves, the bulls, the sheep, the lambs, those things. They were used for sacrifices. They were also used, uh, could be used then as food for the folks. And so they, um, you know, I think in a lot of things it was... Um, it was just him trying to protect his people for them to grow, for them to understand that, uh, you know, you can't eat these parts of these particular unclean animals. Okay? Then, of course, he turns to the waters in the next verse, in verse 9. He says, these you may eat of all that are in the waters. Everything in the waters that has fins and scales, whether in the seas or the rivers, you may eat. But anything in the seas or the rivers that does not have fins and scales or of the swimming creatures in the waters and of the living creatures that are in the waters is detestable to you. You shall regard them as detestable. You shall not eat any of their flesh and you shall detest their carcasses. Everything in the waters that does not have fins and scales is detestable to you. Okay. Um, again, it's, it's like protection. And I was thinking, you know, for me, they, okay, there goes shrimp because... <laughs> you know, it's like uh, it doesn't doesn't have fins or scales, okay? But he, he again, I think, is trying to he's trying to protect his people by saying only with the fins and the scales, only the fish you may you know because if you talk about fins and scales, you're leaving out a lot of obviously sea creatures and things. Um, um you know what do we eat? shrimp, lobster, crab, what? Oyster, squid, octopus. I mean, all that that we eat now that he, of course, was excluding from their diet. Okay. Um, and so it's like, again, let's protect them. Let's, you know, eat the clean food. Stay away. Do not uh, enjoy the, uh, not, not enjoy. Do not eat the food that is unclean to you. Okay. 
And then he moves on, of course, to the flying. And in verse 13, And these ye shall detest among the birds. They shall not be eaten. They are detestable. The eagle, the bearded vulture, and the black vulture. The kite, the falcon of any kind. Every raven of any kind. The ostrich, the night hawk, the seagull, the hawk of any kind. The little owl, the torrent, the short-eared owl. The barn owl, the tawny owl, the carrion vulture, the stork, the heron of any kind. The hoop and the bat. All winged creatures that go on all fours are detestable to you. Oh, uh, sorry. Uh, uh, that's winged insects. Okay. Um, so a lot of these, and, and and I don't, I mean, I don't know who eats most of these now anyway. I mean, besides, I think you can eat ostrich. But, um, you know, it's like, uh, stay away from these. Um, I notice, interesting enough, chicken is not listed in here. But... <laughs> Uh, I don't know if chicken existed uh, in that day and age. I'm sure it probably did. But uh, but anyway, so he says stay away from these. Uh, I'm not sure why. I don't. I didn't really uncover um, in the uh, uh, in the flying creatures as to why these were particularly detestable. But uh, but God obviously declared them so. And of course, if God declared them so, then that's the way it should be. Is you know to stay away from them. And then in verse 20, he says, all winged insects that go on all fours are detestable to you. Yet among winged insects that go on all fours, you may eat those that have joined legs above their feet with which to hop on the ground. Of them you may eat the locust of any kind, the ball locust of any kind, the cricket of any kind, and the grasshopper of any kind. But all other winged insects that have four feet are detestable to you. And so, um, you know, of course, we know that uh, John the Baptist survived uh, by eating locusts in the, uh, in the wilderness when he was out there. But again, God was like... Um, um, you know, stay away from these uh, insects. You're not to eat, it, but these, the four different kinds here, the locusts, uh, the crickets, and the grasshoppers, which we do know, uh, and scientists tell us today, of course, that they're good and nourishing, and, you know, if you have to survive in the wilderness, you uh, can't eat grasshoppers and locusts and those things to uh, survive. Um, and then he goes on to talk about, in the uh, 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 next section, uh, starting in verse 24, about uh, uncontamination from carcasses. So verse 24, and by these you shall become unclean. Whoever touches their carcass shall be unclean until the evening. And whoever carries any part of their carcass shall wash his clothes and be unclean until the evening. Every animal that parts the hoof but is not cloven-footed or does not chew the cud is unclean to you. Even who touches them shall be unclean. And all that walk on their paws among the animals that go on all fours are unclean to you. Whoever touches their carcass shall be unclean until the evening. And he who carries their carcass shall wash his clothes and be unclean until the evening. And they are unclean to you. Um, <clears throat> and these are unclean to you among the swarming things. Well, okay, carcasses. We, and we know that, of course, carcasses, dead carcasses, um, decay. They smell. They stink. They have blood. And so I think what God is here, you know, because God, you know, blood was critically important. You know, that's why they... Uh, had the bloodletting and they tossed it against the side of the altar and everything. And God's early prohibition, remember in, Le in Leviticus, about you shall not uh, drink the blood of any animal or eat the blood of any animal. Okay. And so here he's saying, you know, obviously if this animal has died, the carcass is unclean because, of course, the touching of the blood, the carcass, the blood within the carcass is all living and unclean. So he's saying here then, these are all unclean 
but only for the short period of time, only until the evening, okay? Till, you know, sun goes down. And, and of course, I'm sure they had to dispose of these carcasses and things, so that's why there's not, I'm pretty confident that's why God does not a full prohibition, because you have to get these out of your camp um, as animals die naturally and those kinds of things. But still, you're ritually unclean until the evening if you've touched these carcasses. And then, uh, and those are unclean, and, and these are unclean to you among the swarming things that swarm on the ground, the mole rat, the mouse, the great lizard of any kind, the gecko, the monitor lizard, the lizard, the sand lizard, and the comedian. These are unclean to you among all the swarm. Whoever touches them when they are dead shall be unclean until evening, and anything on which that, and on which they, on which them falls when they are dead shall be unclean, whether it's an article of wood or a garment or a skin or a sack, an article that is used for any purpose, it must be put into water and shall be unclean until the evening, and then it shall be clean. And any of him falls into an earthenware vessel, all that is in it shall be unclean, and you shall break it. Okay, so again, continuing on with this, you know, carcasses, I mean, lizards, geckos, all those I'm sure were very prevalent. Uh, in the uh, in the desert as they were uh, there, and so it's like you have to remove them. But again, you're unclean until evening. But then it's interesting when he goes on to say that if it touches anything in the water, anything in the water, a skin, a sack, or whatever, that also is unclean until it's placed in the water and washed, except the earthenware vessel. And of course, you know it's very hard to clean earthenware, so I think that's why the uh, why God said here that if it is unclean, if it's made unclean by something touching it or whatever, you must break it because even the water will be unable to clean the earthenware vessel in this case. And so it's like you must uh, must just break it and not use that particular uh, earthenware pot at all. Um, all right. Let's see, verse 36, nevertheless, a spring or a cistern holding water shall be clean but whoever touches it, a carcass in them shall be unclean. And if any part of their carcass falls upon any seed grain that is to be sown, it is clean. But if water is put on the seed or any part of the carcass falls on it, it is unclean to you. And if any animal which you may eat dies, whoever touches its carcass shall be unclean until the evening. And whoever eats of the carcass shall wash his clothes and be unclean until the evening. And whoever carries the carcass shall wash his clothes and be unclean until the evening. Um, I wasn't quite sure as I read the part about the sown grain, as any part of the carcass falls on any seed grain. I, I don't, I didn't understand that. I, I read that two or three times, but I don't quite understand if the water puts on the seed, if, but any part of the carcass falls upon any seed grain that is sown, it is clean. But if water is put on the seed and any part of the carcass falls on it, it is unclean to you. I guess the assumption there would be the carcass would contaminate the planted seed if you had watered it uh, and it was going to come up. But that's one, you know, as I got to looking at this, I'm like, I, I'm not sure I understand that. But anyway, and then continue on then in verse 41, every swarming thing that swarms on the ground is detestable. It shall not be eaten. Whatever goes on its belly and whoever goes on all fours or whatever has many feet, any swarming thing that swarms on the ground, you shall not eat for they are detestable. You shall not make yourselves detestable with any swarming thing that swarms, and you shall not defile yourselves with them and become unclean through them. For I am the Lord your God. Consecrate yourselves, therefore, to be holy, for I am holy. You shall not defile yourselves with any swarming thing that crawls on the ground, 
For I am the Lord who brought you up out of the land of Egypt to be your God. You shall therefore be holy, for I am holy. This is the law about beast and bird and every living creature that moves through the waters and every creature that swarms on the ground to make a distinction between the unclean and the clean, between the living creature that may be eaten and the living creature that may not be eaten. Um, one of the other things, as I was uh, looking and reading about this uh, particular chapter about clean and unclean is uh, a lot of the foods that uh, God had made unclean or off limits to the uh, Israelites were actually food that the pagan peoples were eating. And so it, um, it seems that as God made some of these off limits, uh, he was, of course, seeking to um, uh, lift up his people, the Israelites, uh, and keep them separate to keep them safe from these um, pagan peoples. And so part of this, I think, in some of this prohibition uh, is uh, to keep the people, you know, it's, so you can't mingle, so you can't have meals with them because it had been very hard to, uh, you know, you couldn't invite your neighbor over um, if they wouldn't do that probably for pagan peoples, but still you couldn't have a dinner with them because they would not eat the same foods that you would eat. Uh, and so these prohibitions, of course, not only were keeping them safe from the uh, germs, the infections of these carcasses, but also keeping them separate from the, uh, their neighbors so that the, they were above, beyond, they were worshiping God, they were of God, we know, his people, not of the Novan people. Um, it's an interesting chapter, of course, um, you know, now with, uh, our, with the food laws and stuff being removed and everything, we uh, are free to eat when we bless God for those kinds, of, for everything that we are uh, allowed to eat. Um, and, uh, but it was interesting as he was setting his people apart as they were moving through the desert. Here the last chapter without the daddy, daddy from the back. So. <laughs> um, going through Leviticus really makes you realize why there are no, not very many Jewish herpetologists, and <laughs> perhaps why Judaism never got a foothold in like Japan. So all the shellfish and stuff. So. <laughs> so. Yeah. <laughs> No octopus. Nope, we're not doing it. No octopus. <laughs> okay, so uh, chapter 12. Um, now for something completely different. In relation to childbirth, chapter 12, Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the sons of Israel, saying, When a woman gives birth and bears a male child, then she shall be unclean for seven days, as in the days of her menstruation, she shall be unclean. On the eighth day, the flesh of his foreskin shall be circumcised, like the boy, then she shall remain in the blood of her purification for 33 days. She shall not touch any consecrated thing nor enter the sanctuary until the days of her purification are complete. But if she bears a female child, then she shall be unclean for two weeks as in her menstruation, and she shall remain in the blood of her purification for 66 days. When the days of her purification are completed for a son or for a daughter, she shall bring to the priest at the doorway of the tent of meeting a one-year-old lamb for a burnt offering and a young pigeon or a turtle dove for a sin offering. Then he shall offer it before the Lord and make atonement for her, and she shall be cleansed from the flow of her blood. 
This is the law for her who bears a child, whether male or female. But if she cannot afford a lamb, then she shall take two turtle doves or two young pigeons, the one for a burnt offering and the other for a sin offering. And the priest shall make atonement for her and she will be clean. So when we were dividing up these chapters, I gave Ian and Russell first choice and <laughs> didn't actually read the chapters before I offered them. Um, but I, I didn't either. Yeah, <laughs> yes, luck of the draw. So, um, yeah. So, uh, what do we what do we get from from this? So, one of the take homes for me actually, there there, there was a significant take home because I have, um, I, I I prefer to. Uh, I, I think as a as an individual, I, I'm perhaps more sola uh, scriptura than a lot of uh, even um, like reform type people would be, where there because there's the creeds, and I don't really go with the creeds, and I don't like the systematic theologies because it's like, okay, I, if God wanted us to have a systematic theology, He could have given us a systematic theology. He gave us the Bible instead. Um, and, and so, so I, I don't necessarily like, it makes me a little bit uncomfortable when, um, you know, we read through Leviticus and it's like, okay, we can just ignore this because these are all ritual things that we, which I'm not saying that's bad because I realize that was what you just did, Russell, but I, I'm actually saying that like reading passages like this are comforting because, um, it's obvious from this, that ritual uncleanliness is not a sin. Uh, because this is this is a child. Uh, it even uses the word sin offering uh, in. I don't remember if it did in this translation. But yeah, it does. Okay. Um, but but uh, I looked into that a little bit, and that's evidently a, a bad translation because it wasn't for a sin. Because if it was for a sin, this is uh, this is childbirth, right? This is the same. Uh, this is the method by which our Lord came into uh, human life, right? Um, it is it is not sin. It's, it's ritual uncleanliness. So it's like you have the support right here that, okay, that, that there, there's a difference between um, in, in the ritual in Leviticus and being unclean, which you should take very seriously because if you don't, you might die, as, as we saw with Ian's thing. But, but it's a different thing than moral culpability, right? This is, this, is, this is a woman who is fulfilling God's commandment, right? God told us to be fruitful and multiply. First command, we've done pretty good at it, and um, it, it's uh, it's, a, it's a command of God, so it can't be a sin to fulfill it. And so, just because a woman has to um, uh, not take part in uh, some of the ritual for a certain amount of time, does not mean that it's necessarily uh, a sin. Now, it also, like, you can read this, and it might seem kind of harsh. Um, because you know you've you've had this child and it's like now you've got to um, you can't take uh, you can't take uh, you've got to be separated from some people you can't um, so uh, there's the uh, sounds like the the first eight days for a boy or the first two weeks for a girl you can't really have any contact with anybody because you're ritually unclean and then um, uh, and then for the remainder, the 66 days for the girl and the uh, was it 33 for the boy, you can't, you know, participate in, in temple sacrifices and whatnot. Um, so it so it might seem harsh uh, to exempt the woman from participating for 
between 41 and 80 days. That's a long time. I think this is actually uh, perhaps a provision, though, from God to give the mother rest. Um, so it, it's, uh, it would have been really common in the ancient Near East. Uh, so we, we, we think about, you know, you read history books and you're like, oh, people only lived to like 40, 45 back then. No, it's pretty common to have people live to 70, 80 in uh, ancient cultures. But uh, if you think back to statistics, how can you lower your averages? Well, if you have a bunch of very low numbers, if you have some outliers, what am I saying by that? Most people died when they were young, right? Within those first couple of months after being born, that is when you are the most vulnerable as a human, right? So the death rate, that's a little bit bad word for it because the death rate is 100%, but the, the, the yearly death rate drops off highly after the first couple of years of life, uh, especially the first couple months of life, right? So if you can get through that first little bit, chances are you're gonna make it to adulthood. Doesn't always happen that way, but that's that's typically how it goes. We are most vulnerable at the very beginning, and this is the exact time that God is provisioning for the woman to okay. You can't really be around other people. You can't be participating in the sacrifices at at the temple or whatever. Um, it, it, it's not, uh, and, and I don't think that's a judgment. I think that's a almost like a Sabbath. Like okay, you you are exempted from these for this amount of time take care of your child. So in the ancient Near East, it would be really common to have spells uh, and not in non-Israelite society, but if you were if you were in the region there, you had a child, you would have incantations or spells that you might recite to try to keep your child safe. And here's God saying, no, there's no special thing that you necessarily need to do. You just need to get some rest and you need to um, concentrate on your well-being and the well-being and care of the child. Um, now I don't know, uh, so, so which is which is pretty cool. It's 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 not it's not a um, it's not a sorcery thing. It's not a, it's just a God saying, hey, just just stay and and let your body heal itself. Let the child be taken good care of. Because um, if you look over, um, if you look at some cultures and uh, particularly ancient cultures and the rituals that were. Um, that would have been associated with childbirth, um, you know, a lot of them weren't doing the child very much good. Um, and so instead we just have rest, don't participate kind of in the general life of the community, just concentrate on taking care of the child. Um, I don't know why uh, exactly it's twice as long for a girl, a female child to, uh, to be separated uh, from the community. Um, I, I do sometimes hesitate to use a modern reason um, because on the one hand, uh, like the, the law, Leviticus wasn't written to us. It wasn't written to like people that grew up in a scientific kind of society. But on the other hand, God is all wise, right? He knows everything. He knows how he made us. He knows how things work. That's kind of, you know, my objection when people are like, well, the Bible isn't a science textbook. Yeah, obviously the Bible isn't a science textbook, but God made everything if you believe the Bible. And so he knows how things work. And so he's gonna give commandments based on his wisdom. Um, I, I, did some, <laughs> I did some diving into Google Scholar, which if you don't know is how you can look up like scientific studies on Google will just give you scientific studies. I found a study out of uh, Ohio State uh, that found that giving birth to girls is actually much harder on a woman's body than giving birth uh, to, um, to boys, actually the immune system particularly, 
So uh, the, the woman's immune system takes a much bigger hit if you have a girl than if you have a boy. And um, I actually, I asked Beck about this. I was like, are, I, I thought I remembered someone saying that girls are harder, just the pregnancies are harder. She said, I, she did not remember that. I don't think the, the words were quite that nice, but uh, I'm kidding. Um, but, but, uh, but she, uh, but, but I looked it up because I thought I'd heard that before. And, and evidently, um, women, when they have, uh, when they have girls, uh, report more aches, fatigues in the lower immune system. So perhaps that double amount of time is extra recovery time there. Um, that's, that's certainly speculation, but, uh, but we do know that God takes care of us and, and sometimes he takes care of us. Oftentimes he takes care of us without giving us the reasons, right? Because if, um, you know, if, <laughs> if, Someone in ancient Israel, uh, Israel at time would say, "Hey, um, why do I have to? Uh, why do I have to not participate in normal everyday life for twice as long if I have a girl?" You know, and God might be like, "Well, your white blood cell count is low and lower, and like they're going to be like, okay, that doesn't actually answer my question." And I think that's the same for us too with a lot of things in Scripture. Even now, we know lots more than we used to, but we still don't know very much. We're still pretty. If you compare us to God, we're still pretty stupid, right? <laughs> and it's always going to be that way. Um, but but through God's grace, he, he can make us wiser uh, if, if we seek after him. So, um, all right. Uh, I think, uh, should we just pray and wrap this up? Or, okay, let's do that. <laughs> um, and, of course, let's uh, keep staying in prayer for uh, Steve and Christy and uh, Cooper and Sawyer and their family. Lord, uh, thank you for uh, thank you for your words that uh, that even though uh, we know through your son that the that the law has been fulfilled that that all things find their fulfillment in Jesus that uh, we should still learn from your words um, that that the law of the Lord is perfect uh, and and that. Um, we should read it and we should internalize it uh, so we know your character more, if nothing else, Lord. Um, so thank you for your words. Thank you for um, the the insight into your words that uh, that we've gotten today. Uh, wrestle me and Lord, and uh, I ask that you would bring your comfort and um, to Steve and Christy and uh, Cooper and Sawyer and their family and um, ask that... Uh, uh, it's difficult to know what to ask for uh, when one morning, Lord, but uh, we know that uh, you fill all things in all ways, so, so we ask for whatever they need, God. Um, please be with us this week, um, that your, uh, the presence of your Spirit would, um, would be with us, and that we would do the good deeds that you set before us, that we would uh, remember um, who we are in you, that we're um, uh, that we're both mortal and children of God, children of God, Lord, um, and uh, we thank you for all of this uh, in Jesus' most holy name. We pray. Amen.